You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. I don't think you can truly change for the better in a lasting, meaningful way unless it is driven by self-acceptance. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams? What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco. It's great to be here uh, with another great show, profiling some amazing women who are true leaders in their fields. And uh, this week, I'm going to be joined in just a moment by Linda Cohen. Uh, Linda is the Sports Center anchor. She's an NHL reporter and also host of In the Crease, um, a brand new podcast Amongst other things, as you'll learn later in the, the interview, um, later in the show, Sherry Morrison's going to be joined by artist and activist Betsy Kasanis. Betsy's doing some incredible mural work um, around the city of Philadelphia and across the country. So I'm excited for that segment as well. And as always, if you're new to the show and you want to learn more about our lineup and what we're doing and where we're going, go to womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. So now I'm very excited and honored to welcome to the show, Linda Cohen. Linda, thanks for being here. Yeah, uh, great to be here, Sue. Uh, Appreciate you having me. Uh, Congrats on this amazing uh, show you have. It's fantastic. So many amazing women as guests. Thank you so much. It's it's the Greatest thing I've ever done, I have to tell you. The most fun. And I I also want to mention, uh, when my son saw your name in the lineup, he was extremely excited. (laughs) Yeah, you know, Sue, that's the great thing. I mean, for the women that are watching and listening, they may not know who Linda Cohn is. They're like, who's Linda Cohn? But uh, (laughs) it's just ask your kids, ask, uh, you know, people in your family that, uh, 
you know, maybe are now in their 30s even. You know, they grew up with me because I've been a sports center anchor, uh, you know, now uh, into my 30th year. So I find that as the greatest compliment. I don't get insulted when people say, oh, you know, when I was in kindergarten waiting for the bus, <laughs> I used to watch you. And I'm like, that's okay. You can tell me. It's all right. I love that. Yeah, you should so, be uh, proud. Yeah, yeah. all good. I love to hear that because I think women are have struggle with kind of being proud, you know, and, and that's really a topic I wanted to talk to you about. But a little bit later in the show, I do when I hear that number 30, when you hear that number, what does that mean to you? I mean, you know, Sue, it's incredible. I don't really fathom the length of time that is. That's three decades and I'm not great right. at math. Uh, and I never thought, because people would always ask me, and I've done a bunch of these interviews approaching this milestone and now reaching it, you know, did you ever think you'd be doing uh, the same kind of work, which isn't broadcasting, but more importantly, with the same company for so right. long? Yes. And I think what I'm really most proud of is the loyalty uh, when we talk about my career, what I'm most proud of is the loyalty and knowing that this is where I should be because mm -hmm. ESPN from way back when, I mean, I got there in July of 92 ESPN started. A lot of people think it started then, but it started back in 1979. So, but when wow. I got there in July of 92, this was my dream because I'm a sports fan first. I mean, I was, I am still to a point a little bit ridiculous with my, with my craziness with the fandom but I used to be worse, Sue. I mean, you know, <laughs> like relationships that bad. Uh, so, <laughs> well, I want to hear about that. I want. I really want to. I want to hear. I want you to share with our viewers a little bit about the little Linda and how it all began. And you're a New Yorker, which I love. Um, tell us about the community you grew up in, the neighborhood. What was that like? Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up, Sue, because if it wasn't for my mom and dad, this never would have happened. And I know that sounds cliche, but for me, it's fact. Uh, my mom was the one. I played hockey when I was a kid, thanks to my dad. I fell in love with the sport. Um, I was a kid with low self-esteem. I had thick glasses. Now my glasses aren't as thick, you know, thanks to <laughs> cataract surgery, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I thanks to design. I had it. <laughs> And my doctor told me, have it. Insurance will cover it. You can have it now. And I'm like, okay. Blah, blah, blah. And it's great because my glasses are thinner. Uh, the, the glass in it. But when I was a kid, they're very thick. I was very nearsighted. I had very low self-esteem. And sports filled that void for me. It was actually Sue Sports and Music. I love listening mm -hmm. to top 40 radio, you know, pop music, you know, then rock music, which became classic rock. Uh, yeah. In this day and age, which still blows my mind because we're talking about how time flies. Right. Um, but um, my mom, you know, always said you could be anything you want. You could do anything you want. No girl was playing hockey on Long Island. But my mother found a place where girls were allowed to play with boys. Um, but you had the boys were significantly younger. So when I started playing hockey, I was 14. I loved playing goalie because I played street hockey with the boys and I was really good at it. And yes, this nearsighted girl. I could stop the puck. I could see the puck you know, <laughs> because my mother got me contact lenses. So I was able to wear the mask. And I was like, wow, this gives me presence, right? This, and I picked a position where I was depended on. So this is an important aspect that I always talk, talk to young people about when I do speaking engagements, is that if it wasn't for hockey, I don't know if I would have bloomed the way I have in the field that I am today, because it prepared me 
for all the whispers. And the people are like, well, why is that girl playing with my son hockey? And she could be babysitting my kid. Oh, what my God. Kids, right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, you know, and, and, but I, I blocked it out. Right. Hmm. And that prepared me to block out the noise and block out critics in the field that I obviously have done for the last 30 plus years. If you count on all the other um, stages and places that I worked before I got to ESPN, where yeah. people can understand how can a woman, you know, give me sports, do sports and know as much as she does about sports. And at the same time, loves it. You know, yeah. and I do. Yeah. And that's, I think, been the secret for me, because I it's not just a stepping stone and never has been, Sue, for me to do something else. It's always where and what I wanted to do. OK, tell me where and this might just be genetics from your family. It might just be Long Island. You know, there's a characteristic of it being a tough place. And when when you were hearing those whispers, and I'm sure, especially back then, there were people questioning, you know, this girl playing hockey. Yeah. Your um, your confidence. Why were you not intimidated by the naysayers? Yeah, I mean, I had my moments, but again, the support of my parents who really gave a you know what and 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 saw that I was you know I was on a different mission, a different journey, and they also recognized and noticed. And I tell young parents this all the time: really look at your kids, really listen to your kids. My parents knew this was something very important to me that I wanted to succeed that would bring me out of my shell. I was a very shy kid, as I touched on earlier, um, you know, to a fault at times. And I grew up in a middle class uh, situation. You know, I, I, it's not like I was lived an awful life, you know, where, oh, my God, I was just, you know, it was awful. I, I mean, I played tennis first. You know, yeah. Why you know, hockey? I tennis in the 70s. And yes. I was really good at it, but I fell in love with hockey. I mean, I had a couple of uh, teaching tennis pros tell my mom that, you know, if Linda sticks to this at the age of 12, if Linda sticks to this, you might got something, you may have something here. And of course, by 14, I was all hockey all the time and played tennis only recreationally. Why, why ice hockey, Linda? Where did the love of, I mean, as you said, there's so many sports you could have picked or been drawn to. Yeah, you know, it's just my dad. He's a big Rangers fan. I mean, he loved the football giants as well. And I couldn't play in the NFL, obviously, or couldn't play football at that time. But when my mother found a place that accepted girls to play with boys, and there were no girls leagues, let me be clear. We're talking right. about mid-70s, 75, 1976. Um, it, there was nothing. There was only yeah. boys hockey leagues on Long Island. I mean, I didn't live in Canada. Although I dreamed, Sue, about living in Canada, going to college in Canada, McGill University or even staying in the States and going to Boston University, knowing women's hockey was so huge. But thank the Lord. I mean, I found Oswego State, which had a girls hockey team. And I, for the first time, was able to play with girls. But I don't know. I love the excitement. I love sitting with my dad watching Ranger games, playoff games. The sport was just so exciting to me, you know, compared to basketball. I mean, I love football, like I mentioned but hockey seemed doable for me. And again, playing street hockey with the boys and being a goalie, I, I was good. And so that you had a lot to do. Reputation. You must have had a reputation throughout, you know, the, the neighborhood in the area. Oh, my God. Linda Cohn yeah. playing ice hockey with the boys. Yeah. I mean, it was fun. But, you know, that's the thing. It, I didn't look at it as like, oh, I'm a girl playing with the boys. I looked at it as, you know, I want to play hockey. I want to play this sport. And I actually learned to skate, Sue. Uh, with 40 pounds of goalie equipment on me. 
When my mother oh my found this league, you know, where I could play ice hockey, I wanted to play so bad, but then I'm like, oh, I don't know how to skate. So I learned to skate with that extra pounds on me. And remarkably, that makes a difference because, you know, then after that, you know, and I learned and, you know, did everything and that I could. But then when I, let's say I was going public skating with my friends, no equipment. I mean, I was holding on to the side at times. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say you were flying around the, you were flying around the way. My whole balance was off because I was oh so used to the extra weight. Right, right. Listen, we're going to go into our first break. If you're listening on 1210, stay tuned for our watch team, and we will be back with Linda Cohn. Now the women to watch. Finance Watch. Finance Watch. At Penn Community Bank, we're committed to giving small business owners the tools and resources to help them succeed financially. Social media is an invaluable tool when it comes to growing your small business. Whether it's Facebook, Instagram, or a brand new platform rising in popularity, social media is where many of your customers will find you and engage with you on a regular basis. If you're a business owner and want to ensure your digital presence is as effective as possible, here's how to make your social media stand out in 2022. Think about what your business wants to achieve with its marketing and set simple, measurable goals for social media engagement. If you've already been using some social media platforms, Take a step back and evaluate what has been effective so far and what could use improvement. Don't be afraid of doing research. See what competitors or others with a similar business are doing online. If you're running a restaurant, use Instagram to share your delicious dishes. If you're marketing software to other businesses, LinkedIn may be the best place to build an audience. Keep your audience and their demographics in mind. If your target audience is seniors, for example, Facebook is a better choice than Twitter for reaching them. Now that you have your game plan, it's time to develop a plan and create content. This can be as involved or as simple as you like. Just do what you can manage. Determine what kinds of posts will help meet your goals, how you'll engage with your audience, and how often you will post. When it comes to social media, there's no step-by-step guide of what will work for every business. When you take your business online, it's important to pay attention to trends and adapt accordingly. As a business owner, you probably know a thing or two about adjusting and improvement. Never stop learning and growing, and success will come to you and your business. Follow Penn Community Bank on social media for more tips and resources for small business owners. Penn Community Bank, here we are and here we grow. On behalf of Madeline Bell, President and CEO of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and our newest Watch Team contributor, here's some information you may need to know about women in science. There are so many exciting potential new developments for the treatment of diabetes that I think the future is very bright. One is in technology. The advances in technologies that in terms of continuous glucose monitors and insulin delivering pumps and the way those two pieces of technology can communicate to deliver insulin in a smart way is very exciting. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. Hi, and welcome back to the show. You're watching Women to Watch, and I'm joined by Linda Cohn, uh, 30 years with ESPN as a sportscaster, anchor, um, also NHL reporter who played the game, um, and in the crease host. And um, I wanted to find out how you got that very first job at WALK in 1981. Yeah, uh, crazy. I mean, um, 
you know, I didn't know if I would get any job. I started out as like a, a cocktail waitress for a couple of months, dropped the tray. <laughs> we all waiting, do that. <laughs> right? And I was waiting a year. And then finally, uh, WALK Radio in Patchogue, a 50,000 watt, that's on Long Island, 50,000 watt station, uh, took me on as a reporter and a news update person. And it was great. First of all, I got to hear great music, okay? Because they were like... Um, uh, like a lot of, not really like pop music. I forgot adult contemporary. Like that's okay. what it was called, right? Yeah. Um, and then they'd have, but they'd have a strong presence in news. And I knew I had to start out at least in news because there weren't a lot of women doing any sports. Did you have to go in and actually, um, you know, other than the interview, did you have to send in a tape? Did you yeah. have to? I okay. had to send in a tape. Great, great yeah. question. Yeah, because back in the day, there was no social media, no YouTube, none of that. No. So you had to make a tape, and it was like a, uh, a cassette tape for radio, right? Right. Uh, right. So uh, th- then they brought me in, and I did an audition there. And uh, But the, the key there and why that turned out to be gold for me was, um, first of all, I barely made any money. I always remember this. I remember the salespeople on the radio staff. No offense to them. They'd be wa- telling me about their vacations in the Bahamas and their women walking in with fur coats. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm in the wrong field. I should have went into sales and not yeah. on air. That's right. number one. Uh, number two, um, I volunteered because this particular radio station uh, broadcasted the New York Islander hockey games. You know, back in the day in the 80s, the Islanders were a big deal, winning all the four Stanley Cups in a row. Now, I hated the Islanders because I was a Rangers fan. But you know what? I put that hate aside because I said to the news director, I said, listen, if you pay for my gas to the Nassau Coliseum, which was an hour away, okay, there and back, I will cover the Islanders for you for no extra money, for free. Just pay me, give me 10 bucks a game. Really, that's what I did. And reason why, and this is what I always tell a lot of young people, you can't look at like, oh my God, why would I do that? You know, what's that, blah, blah, blah. You, you don't know the reason why sometimes mm. it, it just worked out. So it worked out for me because I met so many people in the business. Right. And I met one of my first mentors, and that was a guy by the name of Ed Ingalls from WCBS AM in New York City, who was basically almost at every game. He hired me to freelance and cover Met games, the U.S. Open, different things. So I kept getting better and getting more experience. In the meantime, still covering the Islanders, Um and uh, that led to, you know, every step. I started doing, working for ABC Radio. I started working for, I worked seven days a week in radio. I worked for WCBS doing sports updates on the weekend. And this was before Sports Talk Radio. And this was a big deal. And it was replayed all night. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'd come in at two in the morning when all the oh, games. Oh, early. Oh, that's hard. I mean, it was crazy what I did in my 20s. But, but you're in your, you must have loved it. You're in your 20s, right? So you're just excited yeah. to be doing it. Right. And I was listening to myself on the radio. You know, I did have yeah. one nightmare, though, because, again, these were taped. And then, you know, you tape it and then they play it overnight uh, into the morning until a regular a regular sportscaster came in. But my point is, uh, I, I wasn't perfect. One time I made a mistake and it was no one caught it on the overnight. And it was broadcast all night. And back in the day, no social media. So they were getting phone calls. I forgot what the mistake was. But Ed Ingalls, my mentor, the sports director, WCBSAM, who hired me, 
really, he didn't, you know, he didn't say, oh my God, you're fired, blah, blah, blah. It was a teaching moment. And he goes, yeah. you just got to look over your stuff once, twice, three times, sometimes five times. And you got to look for mistakes. Don't look and assume everything's right so you can get the hell home. Mm. Actively look for errors. Assume you're making a mistake, mm. you know? And, yeah. and and I did that. And then there was never an issue after that. But um, so that's what I tell people, Sue. You know, sometimes you, yeah, you just have to take that step, take a chance, may not lead to anything. Yeah. Uh, not all my, not all my chances led to stuff, uh, but that <laughs> one did. And that, yeah, that well, first job was a difference. Something you have said that I think kind of goes against, particularly for 70s, 80s, um, is that most of your opportunities came from men who believed yeah. in you and saw yeah. something in you. So I, I find that really interesting. Um because I said it goes against what is typically said. So why do you think that was the case for you? And what is it? What is your superpower? What do you think it is all these men saw in you? Was it the love of, you know, the game, so to speak? Yeah, I'll take that one first. It was my passion for the game and it was my knowledge for the game. So the passion and the knowledge came out at the same time. I could hold conversations about any sport, any player, anything, but I wasn't a robot. I really felt emotion. Plus mm -hmm. I was a true fan. As I mentioned earlier, I'm a fan first. And I think they saw that in mm -hmm. me, that I was like them. It wasn't like I was just a woman doing sports. I was just someone who loves sports, just like them. And yeah. yes, it is true. It was several men who gave me opportunities, who believed in me. It was beginning with the, the, the head coach of my high school boys hockey team. I forgot to mention, which is one of my claims to fame in my senior year, I made the boys hockey team in my high school, wow. um, which was to me, I was a backup goalie. I still started about eight games, but I was dressing and, you know, no locker room for the one woman, of course. So I was in the ladies room after I tried out and the head coach uh, came in and knocked on the ladies room door and I said, come in. And he's like, that's how he told me I made the team. And I said, I won't let you down. Wow. That was like what came. I know that's kind of cliche now, decades later. But back then I said those four words, I won't let you have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, 
Our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Write you down because I realized, what a, this guy's got went out on a limb. There were plenty of goalies, men that tried out for the men's hockey team. Did they know there was a, you're covered. You've got the helmet and the pads and everything. Did the opposing team always know there was a girl in the goal? Yeah, they did because of my ponytail, you know, or it came around. Like I always had long hair. Okay. Um, And so they probably did. But those four words I continued to use once I got into my career. And the men that gave me opportunities hired me, put me in Mm -hmm. positions that others wouldn't. And I would always say that automatically, I won't let you down. And mm. thank goodness I didn't. And uh, it's real. I'm really grateful to all those people. I mean, the late Al Meredith who put me on CBS FM radio to do news updates. Uh, you know, uh, I, I got to hear oldies music. I got to meet the greatest DJs that I grew up loving when I was mm. eight years old, nine years old. Um, you know, Ed Ingalls, I mentioned um, uh, Ted Shaker from CBS. He hired me to do radio in sports. The late Shelby Whitfield at ABC Sports gave me a big break. I went to two Olympics for him. Wow. Uh, you know, John Lippman, who hired me in Seattle. to That was my first TV sports job at a CBS affiliate. Uh, I'm, you know, grateful for him forever. And then that's where uh, ESPN spotted me when I was doing sports in Seattle. You know, you mentioned knowledge. You can't just... You know, so I would be a major fan, lover of sports, but I don't have any knowledge. <laughs> That's okay. I don't know, you know, other than the Eagles and the Philly sports. All right. Well, you're doing um, great this year. My God. Oh, we are. The best team. And right now they're the best team in the NFL, I think. Oh, my God. Yay. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the facts, how much how much preparation and reading do you have to do before you go on air? Because not only do you need to know the facts and, and what you're going to be talking about. There's all this late breaking, sudden, yeah. out of the blue uh, news that happens. Yeah, that's the best part. You know, when I'm hosting Love Sports that. Center, and then when I, you know, I still host Sports Center uh, one or twice, once or twice a week, at least until hockey season starts um, uh, out here in LA where I'm based now. Um, that's the best part when things break and you're on the air and everything changes. And it's great because you just flying by the seat of your pants. It's an adrenaline rush. Um, How much preparation, you know, I love, I watch all week, you know, the morning shows, not news morning shows, I'll watch sports morning shows, not because I have to, because I like to, and thank God at this stage, and it's been this way for decades, it just kind of sinks in. Um, I also enjoy, uh, I work for SiriusXM Mad Dog Sports Radio, and I host Sports Talk Radio, and that is something I prepare for the most, because that, you know, you're taking callers, I'm soloing. I don't, you know, have any help, uh, you know, and you have to sound like you know what you're talking about. So if I do have preparation, I do a little more for radio. I still think radio is more challenging than TV. When I cover hockey games, my first really excitement, and I never thought I, at the, at this stage of the game, last year when ESPN got the NHL back, I uh, had the opportunity to go between the benches and be the NHL reporter for about 10 games last year. And man, is that exciting for me who played the game, being at ice level, being between the benches. And so I was very prepared for that because I never knew when 
the booth would come to me. And when they do come to me, I have to be prepared. I'll have a little amount of time and blah, blah, blah. It's not like when I'm anchoring where, you know, woo, you know, a little more freedom. Um, mm. So that at this stage of my career, that was really exciting to have something new uh, to, you know, tackle. Yeah. Uh, even though it's a sport I'm, that's I'm familiar with, I still got butterflies. I mean, you didn't want to embarrass yourself. Plus, there's players on one side here in front of you. Plus, you can't get hit by the puck. I mean, uh, although <laughs> uh, the puck didn't find me, I guess because I'm a goalie, yeah. it didn't find me in that little box like at least five times. Oh, my gosh. It's it's dangerous the work you do. I know. And, you know, thank God, you know, the one time it did stri- struck my body, it was uh, an area where, let's just say, I had a lot of padding. <laughs> you know, you've been you've been called, you know, one of the most well-rounded sportscasters out there. So you don't, you know, you played hockey, so you know that inside and out. But you're covering all kinds of sports. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. I mean, I love football. I love the NFL. I mean, I th- you know that league is just, uh, you know, it's a perfect business model. It has been for so many years. All it does is make billions. It keeps growing. Uh, it has, a, you know, an amazing female population uh, yeah. of fans, okay? As you know, you're one of them. Um, it's just, they just do it right. I think the NHL hockey is is definitely becoming that. I mean, you know, they, they get a, NFL got a tremendous head start in that. Uh, nobody's come close. I think baseball's fading. And I think the National Hockey League is climbing because of these young, mm-hmm. you know, very um, – young stars that are finally being promoted. And I think ESPN is a, is a big reason why now, because all these players were so excited. You know, I talked to a lot of them that, that the sport is back on ESPN because it's gaining new fans, especially young fans, um, you know, because ESPN is on everywhere. And plus, you know, the, all the ESPN shows, especially sports center is now um, paying a major notice again, you know, to the national hockey league and headlines and stories. So, I know I got off on a tangent there, but, um, you know, soccer, soccer seems to be incredibly popular and has, uh, certainly are, you know, uh, in Europe and all that. I don't follow it religiously. I just think, I think you have to grow up you know, people ask me that, Linda, why isn't soccer important? Um, you know, big in the United States. And I'm like, well, you got to grow up with some kind of emotional connection. Okay. Mm. That is what's passed down in, in the States here an emotional connection from mother to daughter, mother to son, father to son, father to daughter. Uh, that's what's passed down. Um, if you don't have that with soccer, well, you got a lot to catch up on. Uh, the game is cool. The, you know, I'm here in, in, in LA area. Obviously it's very big here. Uh, it's a great outdoor sport. You know, everyone plays in it. It's also cheap to play. You know, hockey is one of the most expensive sports. Yes. I mean, to play, I mean, equipment is no bargain. I mean, right, ask, right. ask any hockey mom or ask anybody who plays it. Right. Um, especially if you're a goalie. My God, that equipment, is, you know, plus my parents and arm and a leg. You're doing what you're doing. I wish we had, you're so fun and easy to talk to. And as I said, I think you're a great example. You're so generous with your words and just keep doing what you're doing forever. Thank you yeah. so much, Sue. Continued success for you. Thank and, you. Uh, thanks for having me. It was was a pleasure. It was an absolute pleasure. Stay with us for Sherry Marson with our Lifestyle Watch. She's going to be joined by Betsy Kasanis, an activist and an artist. And we'll be back. 
This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome to the lifestyle segment of Women to Watch. I'm Sherry Morrison. This week, we are going to paint the town, or the globe in this case, with Betsy Casanis. Welcome to the show, Betsy. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you so much for the, for the invitation. Oh, I've been looking forward to this. Um, I've been looking as I go around the city and doing some research, and your work is amazing. Betsy is a mural, visual, and public artist, an educator, community activist, and organizer based in both Philadelphia and Puerto Rico. She is the director and owner of A Seed on Diamond Gallery and founder of Samia Arts Initiative, which is a grassroots initiative that uses art as a catalyst for social change to empower individuals and strengthen communities through collaborative art in underserved areas. Betsy, please tell us a little bit about your background, education, and how you got started. Well, I, I grew up in North Philadelphia. My family um, came to the States from Puerto Rico in the 60s. Um, so I, I grew up in North Philadelphia. I studied here. I went to Moore College of Art and Design where I received my degree in painting and drawing. Well, clearly you've loved the arts your entire life. You did yes. your first commission project with Network Arts of Philadelphia when you were 19 years old. I think that was right before you had your first child. And that was at a local school that that project uh, was taking place. And you started with the mural arts program in 2000. Um, yes. How many projects do you do with mural arts over, overall? How many do you do in a year with other programs? You know, it's funny. Um, with mural arts, um, this year I've done about three, no, two different projects. Um, I've been working with them for a little over 20, 22 years. Um, in the last year since, since the pandemic, um, since work started after the pandemic, work has been uh, just a little bit crazy. I've, I've been doing about nine to 10 murals um, within six months. Wow. You know, between June to November, I do about nine to 10 murals. And some of those murals are really like, you know, I, I did a 10 story large scale mural for the T-Mobile building in Puerto Rico. And we did that in about 24 days. So it's been really quick turnarounds and really large, large projects. Um, overall, in the summertime with mural arts, I usually do about two projects. And then, you know, when I'm working during the season, um, it depends on who calls me. I have one, one project left in Philadelphia that I'm doing for Nueva Esperanza Health Center, and it's a celebration of community, um, a celebration of, of intentionalism in, in transforming the community. Um, and then I'm doing a project in New York City, in Spanish Harlem, in, in East Harlem, um, that also, um, celebrates that, that, that fusion of culture and how that that helps in the transformation of of music, of arts, and forms of expression. So you know, it's really exciting. It's really exciting to be able to to travel and to be able to do the kind of work um, that we've been doing. Uh, I, I I can imagine that it is just surreal. I, I would be in. I would be over my head with happiness, doing something like that. Um, the, the transitions and the things, the work that you do are amazing. 
You received many awards, which include the 2022 Distinguished Alumnus Award at Moore College of Art and Design in Philadelphia. And then also this year, you received the Philadelphia Assembly Grantee for Artists Doing Wonderful, Life-Changing Work in Philadelphia Region. And in 2008, the Leeway Foundation Transformation Award, which is awarded to women, trans, and gender non-conforming artists and cultural producers living in greater Philadelphia who create art for social change and have done so for the past five years or more, demonstrating a long-term commitment to social change work. Plus another two dozen or so additional accolades. Um, <laughs> you've had a major impact here in Philadelphia as well as many other cities. Um, you said to me, a mural is the spark that triggers other transformative projects in a neighborhood. So how many neighborhoods do you think you have helped transform and what areas are they located? I've, I've done murals all over. Um, I've done a lot of murals in, in Central, North and South America. Um, I've done a mural in, in Ireland. A lot of my work is, is in, I have a lot of work in Philadelphia, in the States, Buffalo, New York, um, New York City. I just finished one in West Virginia. Um, I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm all over. I have working in, in Cuba, in Puerto Rico, in the Dominican Republic, in Mexico, in Ecuador, in Peru, in, in Paraguay. Like I've, I've done, um, just different, different, uh, projects in different spaces. And the idea with the work that I've been doing with Semilla, Semilla started in 2007. Um, and it's basically after community spaces and involving the community in the transformation. So usually my doors in the studio are open. I used to have a really large scale studio in Philly, about 2,000 square feet. And, you know, we would always have the doors open and invite people in. We would have a call for volunteers and we, we work with missionary groups. We've worked with university groups um, and we've worked with young artists that have an interest in in community work, in transformative uh, work inside of, of pretty underserved communities. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, the mural is always like that way, especially when, I, when I'm doing work abroad, when I'm doing work in other countries, a mural is really that first step to really get to know the community and really get to know like what's happening in the neighborhood. Because yeah. it's like really, it's a really approachable medium. I mean, people definitely feel comfortable coming up to you and talking to you about the neighborhood. You want to, you want to see what's going on. Um, the process of putting murals together is so complex. Uh, I mean, when we were talking, I had no idea uh, how it all came together, and it requires an incredible amount of organization. I, mean, I used yeah. to make huge batches of soups and different um, food products. Mm -hmm. So I know what how that all transformed from um, the ingredients to the final product and storage and everything. 2,000 square feet for a studio does not sound like that much when you're working on the bridge on Spring Garden Street, which is a thousand feet of color and painting on both sides of the street. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about how the, the project and the process and how it all comes together. Yeah, so I mean, murals can be done in completely different ways. Like in Philadelphia, we normally work on parachute cloth on fabric. Actually, this this painting in behind me is on on uh, parachute cloth. They're usually cut down in five by five foot sheets. Um, we project on we make a digital design of 
the of the mural based on conversations that we've had during community meetings and with stakeholders that are involved. Um, with the Spring Garden Street Bridge, that was a little bit different because we were working on 94 uh, five by 10 foot corrugated aluminite panels. Um, so the process was completely different and our mural, our, our design was really complex. That, that mural coincided with the exhibit on at the Philadelphia Museum called Paint the Revolution. And it was the artist um, from the Mexican Revolution. So when we, when I started designing, we, we started doing uh, motifs like floral motifs. I started playing with uh, Talavera tile designs, which is the, the really beautiful uh, Mexican style designs, which, you know, when you combine them together, they create another series of patterns. Um, so, the bridge has the Philadelphia Museum of Art on one side, and on the other side, it has the Mantua community. And the Mantua community had a campaign called Bulbs Instead of Bullets. And it was a campaign against violence. And what they were doing was planting tulips all over the, all over the neighborhood. So in solidarity with their campaign, when I started designing, I created a Talavera tile design that had a whole bunch of tulips on it. Um, and then we have central images where there's tulips all over the, the design. Thank you so much for being on the show and for all Thank that you, you do. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, for more information about Betsy, her work programs, she teaches and upcoming project projects, go to www.bzcasanas.info. That's bzcasanas.info. Sue will be right back after the break to close out the show. Ladies, keep living your dreams. On behalf of Madeline Bell, President and CEO of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and our newest Watch Team contributor, here's some information you may need to know about women in science. So there are many, many different rare diseases that are under that umbrella term vascular anomalies and they were mainly treated with surgery and intervention. So we can now use drugs that we use in cancer, but we don't need to use them at as high of a dose. We need more information on why these medicines are working and will they work for every phenotype of a vascular anomaly? So many, many questions that are still left unanswered. Now the Women to Watch, Military Watch. Someone's potential shouldn't be curtailed because of perceived limitations. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast, NBC Universal. October is National Disability Employment Awareness Month, when the country recognizes the vital role people with disabilities play in the workforce. Approximately 22% of all veterans have a service-connected disability and that number is over 40% for post 9-11 veterans. That means millions of working age veterans are embarking on their careers, raising their families, and contributing to the economic health of the communities where they live. For me, that puts into perspective the importance of employers creating inclusive policies and practices. At Comcast NBC Universal, we offer various assistive technologies to help our teammates with disabilities perform at their best. 
We're also working to bridge the knowledge gap among non-disabled teammates, from disability etiquette classes to tips on creating inclusive meetings to inclusive design guidelines, standards, and checklists for our products and services. Meaningful employment means so much to those living with disabilities. Think financial security, psychological and emotional well-being, and thriving through greater independence. So this month, I encourage all of us to look for ways to make the day-to-day -day life easier for our colleagues, friends, and family. A small action can make a huge difference. Hi, and welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for joining me this week. Uh, next week, I will be joined by Susan Martinelli Shea, and she's the founder of Dancing with the Students, which is a nonprofit that's helping students develop more self-esteem, more confidence, and just kind of stay out of trouble, as uh, Sue says. Thanks so much to Tone DeShields, our producer, Shari Marson for the Lifestyle Watch segment, and all of our watch team members and sponsors. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.